Amen. Thank you, Keith. Thank you, worship team. It's good to be in the house of the Lord together this morning. Um, love he- hearing Helena's story. It's always amazing. Um, I was just sat back there watching um, just different fe- people worship. You know, I know you're supposed to be focused on the Lord, but it's really fun to watch our church worship, you know, and, and see people engaging with Jesus. And it's always so inspiring to see and hear. Um, so I get to finish this, uh, this series called Rise and Build. We're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 6 this morning. I do feel old today. Um, older, I guess. I don't really. I feel, um, I feel happy in myself, if I'm honest. I feel I'm excited about the days ahead. Um, we were driving in and my dad passed away when he was 65. And I'm like, wow, that's only like, I don't know, seven or eight years from now. And that's pretty scary. But the reality is we just want to keep going, you know, and keep serving the Lord and, and see what God has for us in the days ahead. And, you know, if I go early, I go early, right? I mean, it doesn't really matter, right? We're, we're entering it. You know, Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So it's all good. It'd be good to be in his presence literally rather than spiritually, you know, so physically it'd be good to be there. But, um, so yeah, I'm, I'm really happy. It's, you know, I don't really like birthdays. If I'm honest, I've never really liked looking back. As a matter of fact, I think every birthday I've ever had, I've either been at youth camp or working with a mission team or preaching. So that's all I've ever known really. So except for when I was a kid, obviously I had good birthdays, you know, when I was little presents and such, but now we don't mess with presents. Um, anyway, so we're going to be in Nehemiah six. Uh, this morning, I get to finish the Rise and Build series, and last week, I didn't get to hear Elijah, because I was away uh, prepping a team to work for the summer, but I got to hear John last week, just so challenged by um, John, and, and just the ideas that he shared with us last week, and just the whole focus on prayer, and I'm going to pick that theme back up, because I think it's really critical, as we consider um, all that God wants to do through us, that we don't let go of this idea of persistent prayer. Okay. And so we're going to pick that up. I think it's in the whole chapter, chapter six, which was my assignment from our pastor. All right. And so I'm going to be faithful to, to uh, Nehemiah six. Um, but here's the question. I love to ask questions. I think Jesus always preached by asking questions. So I'm trying to be like Jesus. All right. So here's the first question I want you to ponder while we're kind of walking through this together. Here it is. What are you actively partaking in that makes people say, Surely God has done this, or surely God is in this. So what are you actively doing, partaking in, that makes people say, God is doing this through them, or God is in this as they do it, whatever they're doing? I think that's really where we want to live, isn't it? Where, where we're living in, in this realm with God, where people are going and, and, and saying or asking questions about us. Man, God, how is God doing that in you? How is God doing that through you? Right? And so I think, um, I think that's just one thing I really want you to hold on to. All right? So let's pick it up in, in uh, Nehemiah chapter 6. Um, and so these characters in Nehemiah 6, there's always going to be people that are negative in your world. Okay? I just want you to know that. Just to encourage you today that there's always going to be people that are whinging about you, okay? Whatever it looks like, all right? Wherever you're serving, there's always going to be people, you know, biting at your heels, all right? And in this passage, this whole text actually, Sanballat, Tobiah, and now we get a new guy. I think his name is Gershom. Um, 
those three guys are still chipping away at Nehemiah, right? And I just want you to know that, that that's reality, okay? That's the, that's the real world. None, none of this pie in the sky, buy and buy stuff. The reality is, as you and I do great things for God, there's always going to be people that are nipping away at our heels. And you just can't be put off by that. You can't be distracted by that. So let's pick it up. Verse 1, when word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies, that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors in, in the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent me their message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plains of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I'm carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? And so I just want to, I want to, the first thing I really want you to grab a hold of this morning is that you and I cannot overstate the importance of prayer to finish a great work. And you say, well, Mike, Nehemiah didn't pray in that, but I want, I want you to see some things here, okay? So the first one is prayer keeps us from distraction, all right? So way back in the beginning, the, the baseline of this entire experience in the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah hears about his city, he hears about his town, God breaks his heart for the place, and what does he do? He drops on his face, drops to his knees, and he cries out to God. And that has not left him, that posture has not left Nehemiah from that moment until this very moment in Nehemiah 6. Because I believe he's praying as he's going. And I think that's the, the, one of the great vibes I want you to get this morning is that this whole concept of prayer and the importance of prayer to finish any great work has to be pervasive in our hearts and our lives, all right? And so the scripture says in verse 3, so I sent messengers to them with this reply, I'm carrying on a great work, a great project, and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? So prayer... And that persistence of it keeps us from distraction, right? I mean, when people nip and people come and people get, begin to try to turn your eyes and your attention to the work that God has your hand involved in, prayer keeps us from distraction. The second thing I want you to see is um, found in verse 9. They were all, uh, the scripture says, uh, verse 9 says, they were all trying um, to, de, to, to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work. And it will not be completed, but I prayed, now strengthen my hands. And so not only does prayer keep us from distraction, but I believe prayer keeps us from being distraught or deeply distressed, okay? And so, listen, I know pressure comes. I feel pressure every day. I hope, I, I hope you do. I, I honestly, I believe if we position ourselves to be used by God powerfully, we're going to feel the tension of that, Right? And the pressure that comes from being in a great work of God, right? But it shouldn't be such that it, it, it keeps us distraught or makes us distressed, right? And so what, is it, what, did, what did Nehemiah do? He said, but I prayed, now strengthen my hands, right? He's always that position of just crying out to God for, in prayer. The third picture is found in verse 12. I realized that God had not sent him, and, 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 and so what happened is, is uh, they, they start sending other ways to distract him and to get him off course. And so uh, this prophet comes to him and, and begins to prophesy over him. And 
because of his discerning prayer, watch this now, because of Nehemiah's discerning prayer, he recognized that what that guy was saying about him was not from the Lord. And so I realized, verse 12, I realized that God had not sent him, but that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. And so the idea here is that prayer gives us discernment. Now, so you're seeing a pattern here. They all start with D, okay? Because that's me being a preacher, all right? But the reality is distractions come. We get distraught and distressed. And if we're not careful, we don't discern what God's real will, real will is for our lives. Prayer gives us discernment. So how do we get that? How do we get that discernment from God in prayer? I believe it's uniquely linked to his word. Right? So if we know God's word, if you want to see God do things in you, I believe he's doing it in scripture. And he's going to speak to you and me while we're, while we're walking with him moment by moment. He's going to speak to us through his word. Right? And so the word is kind of the, the true north, if you will. When people come and speak into you, and we want that. We want people to speak over you and to speak life into you and to speak words of affirmation and to speak words about you. But we want to we measure those deep in, in our spirit and based on the word of God, right? So that discernment comes through prayer and through his word. And so again, the enemy uh, wants to destroy the great work that you're doing. And, and so we've got to be focused in prayer in order to make that happen. Verse 14, pick it up one more time. There's a couple more things here I want to I highlight, and then we'll pick up the rest of the passage. Verse 14, they come again, um, and God uh, again speaks into Nehemiah's life. Now watch this. Remember, this is, what, this is how Nehemiah responds to this repeated distraction and discouragement and all those things that keep pressing against Nehemiah. Listen to what he says. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, my God. Because of what they have done, remember also the prophet Noadia and how she and the rest of the prophets have been trying to intimidate me. So the wall was completed on the 25th, uh, 25th of Elul in 52 days. When all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. Also in those days, the nobles of Judah were sending many letters to Tobiah and replies from Tobiah kept coming to them. So what does that mean? I believe prayer keeps us from discouragement and I believe that prayer keeps us determined. Those last two snapshots are found in that passage. What, what happens is oftentimes when people come against us, when the enemy comes against us, when things look like they're not going to happen, Prayer allows us to hold on to the promises that God's given us. And that encouragement helps us finish the race that God's called us. It keeps us from discouragement. And it creates in us the sheer determination to finish. Now this week, I've watched on television all week long. Actually, I haven't. That's a lie. I've watched on, I've watched on videos on my computer or my phone all week long. It's different now, right? You don't really watch TV. Does anybody actually watch TV? I don't think so. Anyway, so I'm, I'm watching uh, all these powerful moments, snapshots in, in history of the 75th anniversary of the invasion of D-Day. You talk about a group of people who were determined to finish the work. A group of people that literally laid it all on the line 
when it seemed the bleakest, right? They just kept going. Prayer allows us to have this deep determination to finish when it looks like finishing is not possible. And so I don't want to push by this whole idea that prayer is so important. It is so pivotal. It is so critical. Is it any wonder that, the, that one of the greatest enemy attacks on us is the, is the arena of our prayer life? It was the same with the disciples. Jesus asked them to pray. And what did they do? They fell asleep. Right? Can you not tarry with me one hour and just pray? Right? The enemy knows, doesn't he? Our spiritual, the spiritual battle that we're in, the enemy knows the power of prayer. Nehemiah modeled that for us in chapter 1 all the way through chapter 6. How prayer is so critical for the great work that God wants to do with your lives. Now I think before we go much further this morning, I want to answer the question, what is a great work? What is a great work? Because I think we have a misunderstanding of what great work looks like. Okay? And the Lord really pressed this into me really this morning. Um, I think too often we see someone on a grand stage and say that they're doing a great work. But actually, I think that idea needs to be reshaped and redefined in our minds. This morning we were praying up front up here. And um, we were praying and Jemima was here praying with us. And um, I thought, that's a great work. It's not, it's not necessarily... A big stage. You know, John preached last week. What a legend, right? I mean, God's using him so powerfully. And we get, we get in our minds that that's a great stage. That's a great work. Honestly, John's just doing what God's called him to do. But that's not necessarily your great work. Your great work is this sweet little girl that you're investing in and praying over and teaching about Jesus and Raising in the faith and admonition of the Lord, right? So we need to redefine what it looks like to be in a great work. And here, here's what I think it is. And I've, I've stamped this in bold here. Here's what I believe a great work is. What is great? It is being filled with the Spirit and being present in the place God has you right now. That is your great work, whatever that is. Working at a school, being a mom, whatever, wherever your hand is being placed right now, that is your great work, whatever that looks like. Being present, being filled with the Spirit of God and being present in the place that you are right now leads to God doing a great work. And so don't, don't look at someone else and go, oh, God's really using them. God wants to really use you right where you are right now to accomplish his great work. So what does that look like? It looks like family. It looks like friends. It looks like classmates. It looks like coworkers. 
Here's what, I, here's what I believe with all my heart. That we will look back on our lives one day and we'll see the handprints of God on the lives nearest to us. And God is going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's a great work. So don't miss out on that. How God's using you to, to press his fingerprints into the lives of people that you're encountering every single day. And I'm always reminded as we do that, he is the one that bears fruit. It's him. And that fruitfulness might not come immediately, but we sense it and we see it as God begins to bear that fruit. And so I just wanted to remind you that, you know, sometimes we have, we see through lenses that the world sees through, don't we? And we go, oh, he or she's being used in this way or, or oh, that's a great experience or whatever. Can't look, that, that's not the economy of God. God sees through different lenses. Man, that's how we want to see. We want to see through the lens of the Spirit and how God's at work in you and, and in us. Um, so, yeah. Um, so let's, let's pick it up. I, I do believe, you know, I do believe in hard work, right? I do believe we, sh- we should be working and praying. And, and, and Nehemiah gives us that picture in the previous few verses when he, when he had so, a watchman on the wall, he had, had somebody with a sword and somebody working. And, and that worker that was holding the spear and the, or the sword, those guys were laboring in prayer. And, and you see the, the parallel images in spiritual warfare and literal warfare. And, and so those guys and, and the people that were on the wall, they were going to work every day, just like the laborer was. But they were laboring in prayer and attentiveness. And so I believe in hard work. I believe we work and pray, and we pray and we work, and we pray persistently. Why, why do we struggle in prayer? We get distracted. We get discouraged. I believe we encounter the devil. I believe, he, I believe he's got a bullseye on your chest. He wants to take you out. So prayer is critical. I do think... Um, God's kingdom is coming. Prayer allows us to experience the kingdom of God. Persistent prayer is powerful and it's rewarded. I think you and I need to capture in our minds the, the, the snapshot, the picture of us banging on the doors of heaven for our streets and our families, our community, and this church in prayer. I believe prayer clarifies what matters the most in our world. And I believe prayer will extend the tent pegs, if you will, or the footprint, if you will, of this church as it blesses this community and invests in people. Any good work any God-ordained work is going to face opposition. I believe we've faced that as a church. I believe we've been thick in it as a church. I believe God led us to this place. I believe God called us to this moment. And I believe it's been hard. It's been hard for our church. But church, I want to, I want to re, 
challenge you this morning that this is a good work. What God is doing in this place is a good work. And what he's doing in the stories of like a Gemma or a Helena or you is real. And God is shaping you. God is shaping them. And it's worth it. It's worth it what God's called us to. And so let's persist in prayer. The second thing, can't underestimate the power of prayer, can't underestimate the persistence of prayer. We have to be praying people. The second thing is, great works call for sacrifice. So a great work has prayer deep in it. But a great work calls for sacrifice. I wrote down three things this morning that I think we need to consider sacrificing. It's your time, your talent, and your treasure. Three things that I believe if we're going to be used of God to do a great thing in Teesside, that we all need to wrestle with. God, do you have all of the time that I can give you? God, do you have all of my talents at your disposal. And God, am I willing to let you have my treasure? Right? So I wrote these three questions down. What in your schedule do you and I need to adjust so we can give more time to this great work? Calls for sacrifice. What in your schedule do you and I need to wrestle with to say, God, I want to give you more time for this great work? Now, this series is called Rise and Build. This series is about the effectiveness of this church. This series is about your part in the kingdom of God and in the effectiveness of how we operate as a body of Christ. We need you. This church needs you. So what time in your schedule, what in your schedule do you need to adjust so you can give more time to this great work? I think there's a couple of arenas that you need to pray about. I'm going to go a little long, okay? So just hang with me, all right? One is, there's a prayer meeting every Sunday night at 6. Can you wiggle some room to pray? There are connect groups every week that are happening where people are gathering around the Word of God to nurture and love one another, to grow each other in their faith. Can you find time to connect with a group of other believers and do life together? The summer holidays are coming. Everybody needs a break. I get it. But you know what's not going to break? We're going to feed kids in this, in this building for six straight weeks, I think. I think it's six. And we need your help. We need people to, to make food, and we need people to come serve food, and we need people to love kids. So what in your diary, what in your schedule do you need to adjust so you can give more time to this great work? I think those are three arenas that all of us can engage in. Under talent, what gift 
has God given you that you need to use here now? What gift is it? What giftings has God blessed you with? What talents has he given you? Um, some people are great at hospitality. That's, that's God-given gift. We, we need you to be hospitable. <laughs> we need you to love people. We need you to be here with, with all these families that come and, and we feed kids and families. You know, what, what talents do you have that you can offer this church? Some of you are great thinkers. You're great logistically. Lord knows every church needs great thinkers and logistic, logistical people. Some of you are, you know, you're great communicators or great worship folks or great whatever. Some of you just are great at cleaning. We need that. What great talent do you have that God wants you to use here and now? And then under treasure, unashamedly, I'm asking, what, what can you give of your treasure? Now listen, 10% seems outrageous, doesn't it? I mean, it does. It feels like a reach. Some of you are new believers and you're like, there's no way I can give 10% of my income. Well, try 1%. Start there and see if God honors your giving. Can I just tell you, early days, I didn't grow up in church. I've always worried about money. But can I just, can I just honestly tell you that when I started giving 10%, I... I have never not had God meet us at every need we've ever had. When we sold everything to move here, we got everything back. Y'all started bringing stuff to our house. I'm like, didn't we sell that like six months ago? And it would just show up at our first house here. So, uh, somebody gave us a car. Somebody gave us a dryer. Somebody, I mean... So many things, right? And God, God honors our faithfulness to live sacrificially and to live with open hands. And when we decide to live that way, God blesses. So what, what of your treasure can you give to the Lord? I do not believe, and I, can, I believe I can say this with full conviction and authority. I don't believe you can outgive God. There's no way. And I know when you look at it, you're like, there's no way I can sacrifice this. I'm telling you, God's going to give it back to you in some other way that you can't even imagine. You can't wrap your minds around. You can't outgive God. And so when we think about great works call for sacrifice, I want you to listen to this passage. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from their flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of faith or to the household of faith. Can't outgive God. And what you sow into God promises he will pour back. Now, that does not mean, don't hear me say, you name it and claim it. I'm not talking about that, okay? But I am talking about you and I saying, God, my treasure is yours. I give it freely. And you just hide and watch and see how God blesses your life.
Okay? You cannot outgive God. So great works call for sacrifice. We're almost done. We're going to land the plane, I promise. Number three, great works bring the greatest satisfaction. Great works bring the greatest satisfaction. Listen, there is nothing that this world can give you that doesn't wear out. You hear me? There's nothing that, there's no trinket, there's no anything that this world has to give you that's not going to get old and wear out. It's just, it's just reality. The iPhone 7 is passe, right? That car you've got has a nick in it. Somebody dinged your door and you cussed, okay? Because it was your car. Somebody did that, right? Everything you and I hold dear on this earth gets old and rusty and fades away. Those things don't bring the greatest satisfaction. Great sacrifice and great works for the kingdom of God lead to the greatest satisfaction. The people that you and I invest in are the trophies of God's grace that will never, ever fade. And that needs to become what we put our lives and our hearts and everything into. Um, You've never seen a hearse carrying a moving van behind it. You've just never seen it because you can't take any of that stuff with you. You know what I mean? You've just never seen that in any funeral. You've just never seen that. What's behind a hearse? It's loads of people whose fingerprints that person had in their life. The lives that they've affected. And I want want that to be what drives us as a church. The greatest satisfaction comes from a great sacrificial work. And it's always about people. It's always about people. Let me pray for us. We have a chance here. We have an opportunity here at this church as a family of followers of Jesus to be a part of a great work. Now you've already heard me say the great work is wherever your hand is at right now. Right? The people you're investing in, the family that you're pouring into, the community that you're touching, all of those things are a great work. Right? But collectively, we are the body of Christ called Teesside Vineyard Church. And collectively, God wants to use us in a great work. He wants us to be a part of the change, the transformation that he wants to bring in Teesside. He wants us to be a part of this work, this story, this narrative that he's writing right now in Thornaby. He wants us to be a part of that generally, collectively, as the body of Christ called TVC. Let's lock arms and do that together. Let's cry out to God together. God, what would you have us do? How would you have us live? 
What would you have us sacrifice in our time? What would you have us sacrifice in our talent? What would you have us sacrifice, God, in our treasure? Not so we can pat ourselves on the back and say we've done a great work, but that we could affect a generation and generations that come because of who God is in us collectively. Now that's a great work. Let's put our hands to it. God, thank you for this church. I thank you for Elijah and for Joe. I thank you for the calling that you've placed on us as a family of faith for this moment. And God, to that end, we're going to pray with persistence that you alone would work and move and do powerful things. And God, to that end, we're going to labor and sacrifice and serve faithfully. And God, to that end, we are not going to give up. We're going to continue to see you do powerful things through us as a church. God, would you help us wrestle with your word today? In Jesus' name.